From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, a refugee story. Host Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, talks with Vin Chung, author of Where the Wind Leads. Let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, president of NAE, here with Dr. Vin Chung. Vin was born in South Vietnam just eight months after it fell to the communists in 1975. His family lost everything and fled the country when he was three and a half years old. They joined the legendary boat people and sailed into the South China Sea, even though they knew that thousands who took the same route had already died. Now, as a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Medical School, Vin runs a successful dermatology practice in Colorado Springs. He was also a Fulbright Scholar and chief resident at Emory University. World Vision was part of his rescue story, and Vin and I serve together today on the World Vision Board. So thank you for being here with us today, Vin, and for being willing to share your story with us. Of course, Lee. Uh, it's really uh, my pleasure to, to be here. Let's start out by understanding a little bit about what was happening in Vietnam and how your family fit into all of this. Sure. Back in Vietnam, my uh, family was very wealthy. My father's family had this uh, rice milling empire that was probably worth uh, millions of dollars in today's value. And uh, during this time, there was a civil war between the North Vietnamese and the South Vietnamese. And the uh, North Vietnamese uh, government uh, won. And after uh, August of 1975, they declared victory. And they punished the defeated South Vietnamese. Uh, my family was from South Vietnam. And they uh, also targeted ethnic Chinese because um, at that point there was tension with, uh, with China. My family was also ethnic Chinese. So those were two strikes against us. And then the other strike against us was that we uh, were wealthy. Uh, they did not like wealthy people. And so they took everything away. They took away our business, kicked us out of our house, and we were forced to live in this little shack in the rural Mekong Delta. We had no electricity, no running water, and it was eight months later that I was born. And um, it was just a daily struggle for my parents to feed their eight children, and they knew that uh, we may survive, we work really hard, but there was no future because we knew that regardless of how hard we worked, uh, whatever we saved up, whatever we tried uh, to do to better ourselves, uh, at any moment anything could be taken away uh, because, it because it had already happened. And so this was when my uh, parents decided to load up their eight children and, uh, and leave the country to, to seek a, a better life. And you couldn't fly out, and to go by land, to go north to China, was extraordinarily dangerous. So you decided to take a boat ride that was astonishingly dangerous. And what was that boat like, and what was your family's experience on the boat? Sure. So at this point, the only way to leave the country was to pack into this little rickety boat and sail out into the South China Sea. Uh, it's really a one-way trip without a destination in mind. And in June of 1979, that was what my parents did. My parents and their eight children uh, left on this boat. Uh, there are about 290 people on it. Uh, some of the other uh, people included my 
father's brother uh, and his children, my father's uh, uh, entire immediate family. And uh, we went out and we actually made it to the beach of Malaysia. And there we were hoping to be admitted to a uh, refugee camp, uh, but instead we were greeted with uh, brutality. And Malaysia, they didn't want you, so they expelled you, is that right? That's right. At, at this point, the refugee camps were overflowing, and uh, they didn't accept us. And so we were essentially imprisoned on the beach for weeks, where we uh, were forced to march on the scalding hot sand. Uh, we slept out in the open. Uh, some people died. Uh, we all suffered. And uh, it was on that beach of Malaysia that my mother also suffered a miscarriage, and there she almost bled to death. Uh, the men were uh, beaten. My father, my uncle, and other men were beaten by the Malaysian uh, soldiers. And eventually, the Malaysian uh, military wanted to get rid of their problem. And they did that by putting our group of about 290 people or so into four smaller fishing boats. And they uh, placed my family in this boat that was packed with 93 people. They towed us out into the sea, and out at sea they cut the ropes and, and left us, and that was how they uh, discarded us and took care of their problem. You make a distinction between immigrants and, and refugees, and I, I think that's a really important distinction. Can you explain that? Yeah, so immigrants are, in general, uh, they have a planned uh, trip in mind where they choose to go to another destination to uh, live a different life. Uh, they, uh, whereas for refugees, we were forced out of our country, uh, and in our uh, circumstances, we were forced out because of uh, political and uh, ethnic persecution. So almost anywhere was better than where you were leaving. It was, the destination was uncertain. That's right. The destination was uncertain, and for my family, we we were um, out at sea. We had uh, no country that would claim us. We were uh, people without a, a a country, without a place to call it home. Uh, we had no rights, and we had um, we were in uh, limbo. In addition to the obvious threats of the weather and the storms and the the ship. Your ship in leaving uh, Vietnam was attacked by pirates. Yes, it was, and you know that's one of the other things that um, that people need to understand about refugees is that we are among the most vulnerable people uh, in in the world. Uh, while our boat was out at sea, we had a a, a pirate ship that uh, that came to our boat and. Uh, they raided our boat, assaulted us, uh, robbed us. They ripped off jewelry from from the women, uh, and uh, and they they left uh, because out at sea uh, we were essentially a floating um, floating bank vault, uh, and they recognized that because they knew that we had um, we had uh, converted everything that we owned into valuables, such as uh, gold or jewelry. Uh, we had young children, we had elderly people, we had women on board, and we were not armed. And so we were vulnerable to uh, to pirates. 
when you left Malaysia and your family and your overall group is divided up into smaller fishing boats, uh, w what happened then? You, you thought you were going to be sent to another refugee camp, but you're you're out just floating in the ocean, right, without supplies and without power. What was that like? Yeah, that's right. So the Malaysian military um, did what um, they did what they must to to get us into these boats, and they lied to us. They said that we'd be towed to another island where there would be a refugee camp welcoming us. And before we were we went into these little fishing boats, they actually uh, demanded that we hand over other possessions. So whatever we had left that wasn't already been taken by the, the pirates, uh, we handed off to them. They gave us receipts uh, promising that we would be that these possessions would be, would be returned to us. But expecting a just one hour boat ride to a, to a refugee camp, we had no supplies, we had no food, we had no water. And then out at sea, when they cut the ropes, we found out that these boats weren't even working. Uh, the motor wasn't working, we had no fuel, and we were essentially left out in the open night. And uh, that was uh, where my family found ourselves. Uh, my my parents, their eight children, and uh, packed in a boat with 93 people. And we just drifted um, uh, days on end uh, without any uh, food, without any water and without any way to get us out of the ocean. So death was expected. In a sense, what happened when you left Malaysia is they robbed you and then executed you through a, through a long, long process. And then, amazingly, uh, you were rescued. What happened there? Yeah, so at this point, we had been drifting for uh, over five days. And by this time, we were so desperate that some of the mothers on the board even started talking about maybe uh, drowning their children to end the suffering. Because these are women with holding their children uh, who are crying out for food, for water, but had absolutely nothing to offer them. And uh, didn't know how much longer it would be. But amazingly, uh, on the sixth day, we encountered a, a ship uh, from World Vision. And that was how uh, we were rescued. Of course, there was no guarantee that World Vision could get you into a country any better than anybody else could. So how did you get from boarding that World Vision ship to eventually getting to Arkansas? Yeah, so it was a, it was a, a politically uh, tense situation. And I, I will be forever indebted to the World Vision crew who just worked tirelessly to make sure that we would be admitted somewhere. We eventually were admitted to a refugee camp in Singapore. There we stayed for about three months, and it was a small Lutheran church in Fort Smith, Arkansas that uh, sponsored my family. And so that's how I ended up in Fort Smith, Arkansas when I was uh, three and a half years old, and that's how I ended up growing up there and, uh, and became an American. So my guess is that in Vietnam, nobody knew where Fort Smith, Arkansas was, didn't know where Arkansas was, and you arrive with nothing. Uh, you don't speak English, didn't have jobs or friends or extended family. I, I can hardly imagine what that must have been like. So how did you, or your parents especially, how did you make it through this difficult circumstance? Yeah, well, from our perspective, uh, we didn't know where Fort Smith, Arkansas was. Uh, we actually had no idea where we would end up, which country where that we would eventually settle in. 
but we knew that at least it was better than living under persecution in South Vietnam. And it was tough because for my, my father, he was a wealthy businessman back in Vietnam, found himself into this new country where he couldn't speak the language, he had no skills, but he had eight children to feed. And so he worked various odd jobs to, to make ends meet. We had compassionate uh, and generous and kind people who helped us out. We had uh, you know, our, our uh, there's a local Baptist church in Fort Smith, Arkansas that had a Vietnamese ministry. They helped us out, and and uh, we always believed that uh, in this country, if we would work hard and that we would um, study hard, that uh, things would work out well. And it really took several decades before you could see the results of it, but we always believed that in this country we can do anything. So your father did not become a business entrepreneur here, but your family encouraged you and your siblings to really do well in school and, and set a different career path? That's right. Uh, my, uh, so my father spent most of his career working uh, manual labor on the assembly line, and uh, he stuck with it for about three decades. And he, what he taught, what he and my mother taught us was that we should study hard in school so that when we grow up we can have a job where we could sit in an office that's air-conditioned. That was really their, their, their goal for us, was that we can have a better life than, than he did, that we can have a job where we could use our minds, that we could, uh, uh, that, that, w that w would value what would come out of our mouths. And so we realized that education was the only way, and that's why uh, all of my siblings and I uh, studied really hard, and, and, and that's how we all graduated from universities and became professionals. And that must have and must still uh, just delight your, your parents and your family and that, that you made it to Harvard and to Emory and a Fulbright Scholar, um, that must give them uh, just indescribable delight. Let's go back to the small town in Arkansas. How, how did people respond there? Because they also had a challenge that somebody's coming from another country, another language, another culture. How did they handle this? Yeah, I, I, when I think about Arkansas. Uh, I think of it with fondness because I would say that the vast majority of people there are just kind, generous, salt-of-the-earth people. But of course there was also a handful of ignorant people who did not know the difference between South Vietnam and North Vietnam and some of them had family members who were, were killed or hurt in Vietnam and so when we arrived, some of them did not know that uh, we were the victims of the Civil War and that I am a product of the Vietnam War, just like their family members were. They didn't realize that the South Vietnamese fought alongside the Americans against the North Vietnamese government. And so uh, these people, these few people, I say, uh, uh, didn't treat us well. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, when you think about your entire experience, even though 99% of it was wonderful, all it takes is just, you know, 1 or 2% of it to, to really have a, a negative impact. And so growing up, you know, at school, uh, out in public, uh, very unexpectedly you will hear uh, certain uh, racist comments. Uh, that that would make you not um, ever feel at ease, and so I remember just growing up, I never felt um, that I belonged. I never felt that 
I deserve what everyone else did. And, and sometimes I was re reminded that I was a second-class citizen. But looking back now, I would have to say that, again, the vast majority of the people that I encountered were just really kind and, and, and compassionate and generous people. And so, so having be, been removed from that environment and being in the position where I am now, I think I can appreciate it more. When you arrived in the United States, you were welcomed by the Lutheran Church and you were welcomed by the Baptist Church. How did all that relate to Christian faith for you? Sure, I, I really believe that that was the body of Christ in action, where when we were floating out in the South China Sea at the brink of death, when the entire world has turned its back on us, when political leaders would not uh, touch this, this, uh, this mess, uh, it was a small group of Christians from World Vision that decided that they needed to do something about it because when they saw the suffering, their hearts were broken and they just had to uh, follow their conscience and follow the broken heart. And so that was one part of the body of Christ. And then from there, it was a small Lutheran church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, of all places, that, uh, that uh, felt compassion for my family and sponsored us. And then it was a Baptist church in that uh, felt compassion for the Vietnamese refugees coming in, so they had a Vietnamese ministry uh, that, that reached out to my family, and it was through this ministry that all that both my parents and all 11 of the children came to know and, and accepted Jesus Christ at, as their Lord and Savior. And then there were also the neighbors, the kind neighbors who donated clothes, donated food to my family, and helped us out. So it was really the body of Christ in action different parts of the body at different points in my life all along just responding with the same heart and compassion for, for my family. Back in Vietnam, your mother had had a dream that I, it just touches my heart to, to hear the story of what was her dream and how that seemed to be um, God's promise and anticipation for what would happen. In America, we don't often make much of dreams the way other cultures do, but in this case, you can't miss it. Could, could you tell that story? Yeah, so my mother has, um, I think I would describe it as a gift of having these very vivid dreams where it was, um, and I believe it's God speaking to her. And as we were, and this occurred in, in Vietnam as we were preparing to leave the the country as refugees. My mother had this dream where she was in the marketplace, as she is every day. She goes there every day to to buy food for to prepare for the day. And while in the marketplace, all of a sudden she looked around and everyone just fell over and and died. And um, and we were just lying there dead, including her entire family. But then she saw this man dressed in in a robe at the corner of the marketplace and he would walk through the market and point at different people and as he did they would come back to life and so in her dream she remember lying there and just praying that this man would come and point to to her family so that we can come back to life and and eventually he did and my entire family came back to life and after she woke up from the dream she didn't know what to make of it because back in Vietnam my family believe in a various combination of superstitions, Buddhism, Confucianism, 
And so she didn't know what to make of this dream, and she'd ask different family members to see if they can shed insight into who this man was. It wasn't our ancestors. It wasn't Buddha. And so it really, um, she wasn't sure what to make of it until after we had arrived in in Arkansas and we were invited to attend this church. And out in the lobby, she saw a picture of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, she recognized that this was the man in her dream. And she shared this story with other people, and and she said, "So was it a man who was it was this picture someone who resembled the man in the dream?" She said, "No, this was the man in the dream. This was Jesus Christ." And and it was at that moment that it all made made sense to her. You tell so much about this in your book, Where the Wind Leads, and it is a page turner. It is a, a great bestseller. It's I just want to recommend it to everybody. How did you decide to to write the story and put it in a book? Well, I, I never thought that I would uh, write a book, but it was at, at a World Vision conference uh, a few years ago that I was invited to get up and, and speak and, and share my story. And when it came down, we had multiple people suggesting that I should write the book. And then within a week, I had um, I was in contact with different publishers, and and before I knew it, we had a team assembled, and so it was a a team that that helped uh, create this book. We uh, compiled all the stories from my parents, all my family members. Uh, and I give the biggest credit to my collaborative author Tim Downs, who uh, who really was the, the the artist behind this, putting all these different. Uh, nibbits of um, stories from different languages and, and different times, and to, to to put it to compile it together into one book that that, that tells uh, tells a story. And so that's how it came about. I'm not an author. Uh, I'm a dermatologist, but I believe that it's a story that uh, that must be told, and uh, through the you know through the grace of God, and it's it's here today in in a book form. And so. Well, I feel very uh, grateful for for having it because it's a story that um, I'll tell my children and 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 their children one day. You were born in Vietnam and you've been back to Vietnam, so you visited there. Tell us about that experience and what, what does that sound like and feel like, and it's sort of what might have been if you had stayed there. Yeah, so when I was um, growing up in Arkansas, and um, I always felt that I had the short end of the stick. <laughs> I always felt like I was a second-class citizen. And um, then when I graduated from Harvard, I everyone told me that I should be so proud that I uh, I've achieved the American dream. And when I was in Vietnam, it, my eyes were really open to what that really meant. Because in Vietnam, I visited these shacks without electricity, no running water, and uh, I was entering this parallel universe, this other world that could have been mine if my parents had chosen not to leave the country. And there, I also visited my extended family members, and these are the same people who left with my family in that large boat from Vietnam, and together we were attacked by pirates, together we were on the beach in Malaysia, and when they towed out the four boats, the boat that my family was in was picked up by World Vision. The boat that they were in drifted back to Vietnam. 
And so you can imagine the life that they had to live. Uh, they, they were in abject poverty, having to beg for food and for shelter and just endured heartbreaking things to, to make ends meet. And so while standing there uh, meeting my, my extended family members, um, it struck me that um, what I had accomplished was, was not anything that I uh, had earned. Uh, and and when, while standing there next to my family members, I wasn't swollen with pride that I was a Harvard graduate living the American dream. Uh, but instead, what I really felt at that moment uh, was was shame. And I felt shame because I knew that uh, while I've worked long and hard to get to where I was, I had not really recognized that everything I had was a gift from, from God. And that all these opportunities that I have today are gifts that I must use to, to help other people. And I also, uh, because I knew that at that point if Jesus Christ had walked up to me, I could not have given him an account of everything that was entrusted in me because I thought that that was for me and, and for me alone. And, and, I, and it, one of the, the things that struck me was you know, the verse you know, in Luke 12, uh, 48, where Jesus talked about how to whom much is given, much is ex expected. And, and up to that point, I thought that, you know, I remember these... Um, the sermon would be preached while I was growing up, and I, I thought that Jesus was preaching to the rich or the powerful people, because certainly he wasn't preaching to me, because I was a poor refugee kid who didn't have anything. But while standing there, next to my family members in Vietnam, I recognized that, wow, that message was meant for me as well. Even though I, um, I was poor growing up in this country, what I really had was just so much compared to to other people and so uh, that was a turning point in my life uh, it was an eye-opening experience and and so today uh, regardless of how much little I have I just feel so utterly grateful for for it all and, and I feel that uh, what has been entrusted in me is something that is really large and, and I want to be accountable for it and, and, and to do something good with it the story of refugees today is not in Southeast Asia. Today's flow of refugees are out of Syria and other areas of the Middle East, North Africa, across Europe. What, what are the parallels in their stories to your story? Yeah, the, the parallels between the refugee crisis today uh, with what my family experienced, it's, it's identical. These are people fleeing their homes because there were because it's not safe to stay there. Uh, they are just trying to protect their children. And today there are different responses. Some people are fearful of refugees fleeing Syria, just like there were some people who were fearful of my family because we resembled physically uh, the, you know, the, the enemies that, that, that you know, ironically, the same enemy that, that had driven my family out of the country. And so the parallels are the same, and, and the fears are there, and the political tension is there. But at the same time, what I encourage people to recognize as well is that we, as Christians, must respond with our hearts and to see beyond that, and, and that we as individuals can't make a difference. And for my family, we weren't rescued by a political leader. We weren't rescued uh, by someone who was in 
in the position of power to to fix all the political problems. But instead, my family was rescued because it was a small group of Christians who acted when they saw suffering in this world. And that's a great note in which we can conclude that Christian opportunity and Christian responsibility go hand in hand. And what a difference as Christians we can make in a world with so many refugees and so many challenges. Our guest on today's conversation has been Dr. Vin Chung, author of Where the Wind Leads. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Vin. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.